Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Here we go. Welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. It's 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the Stud. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into the ring and back into time. My man, the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's up, Ron? Oh, man, great to be here, Dave. Got a pretty day up here in the mountains. Glad to be in Tennessee on a day like this. And good to have you on here, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Going to have awesome. another good one today, my man. We're going to rock them again, kind of like we did last week with that crazy uh, Joel Duke. <laughs> oh, no, no doubt. And you reminded me of the late, great Charlie Daniels a second ago, because Charlie would always say, oh, it's great to be in the great state of Tennessee on every yeah. show. So, hey, how was Father's Day? Everything went well? Yeah, everything went great. Yes, sure is. In fact, uh, my son and my grandson are going to be visiting me tomorrow. So uh, I'm going to have the opportunity to see them. And and I want to wish uh, everybody out there belated. I mean, it's uh, I know it's past, but uh, all the listeners out there, all the fathers out there, uh, a happy Father's Day. I mean, uh, great tradition we have in this country. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And definitely an all-American holiday. Hey, speaking of which, and I keep forgetting this, my father, and uh, you reminded me because I did a, a tribute on Facebook about my father who was a merchant marine. Of course, he's he left us in 99. But I forget because your dad was also a merchant marine. Yeah. How did your dad have time to go off and be a merchant Marine with your grandfather? I would assume bringing him up in the wrestling business. How did he get away from, from your, your granddad and the bear? My, my granddad didn't really push my father to, to go into wrestling at an early age. Uh, actually, I don't think he really wanted dad to wrestle. Dad told me, uh, and dad didn't actually start wrestling until he was probably about uh, 26, 27 years old. He learned to weld. He became a welder. Uh, he went to Chicago, got a job welding. And uh, so in the Merchant Marines, he, he left home pretty early, man, as a young boy back in those days, World War II. Everybody was enlisting, and and he wanted to go do his thing and to help out. And uh, Roy's relationship with my dad was a little bit different. I don't know if uh, they had uh, – I don't know if dad wished him too many <laughs> happy Father's Days. Right, right. But, uh, yeah. but, uh, they they had a, they had an odd relationship. Wow. Okay. 
All right. So I also figured out we have other things in common other than my dad and your dad in the Merchant Marines. So you're six six feet nine. I'm five feet nine. We're both extremely handsome, and we never lie. So there you go. Hey. What a friendship. Right. <laughs> I'm going to move on with the show at some point. Oh, man. that's a, I, I'm glad you came up with that to start the All show right. with, man. All right. Happy Father's Day, nonetheless. All right. Listen, as you know, and you can... Good Lord, because you're so busy all the time. So much happening for you right now, Ron. More than 200 studcasts and 42 super studcasts. In the last studcast, Joe LeDuc showed up for the first time in Southeastern Wrestling. And man, did he light things up. And speaking of lighting things up, you've done just that, Ron, with your new YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. You and I have talked about this a lot off the air and on the air as well. Your plans for its future are just phenomenal. It's only been up for a couple of weeks and already hundreds of subscribers. So to saddle up, all you have to do is subscribe today. You can do that for absolutely free by going to youtube.com and then Southeastern Rewind. Ring the icon bell, and then the stud will ring your bell every time something new is released on the channel, so you'll be on top of everything. It's going to be a lot different than most YouTube channels. Every studcast we do now rewinds what happened years ago. Southeastern Rewind, your YouTube channel, does the same thing. It rewinds the original studcast all over again, starting with the very first one, about your grandfather, Roy Welch. It's on there now. Episode number two is on there. Episode three and even episode four. Those are the first four original stud cast from what? Maybe four years ago, stud. Yeah, it's a, it's a while back, man. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you're right. Uh, the, we're going back to the beginning. And uh, when I decided to, to return to wrestling, uh, that's when the stud cast was born. And the very first one started, obviously, with Roy, my grandfather, and the first four are already on the channel, just like you mentioned. Every week, two more original stud casts. We're talking about the very first ones that came out. Two more originals that go on on the uh, YouTube channel. And uh, new fans that have just saddled up and uh, started to ride with us for the first time, uh, you know, you might not have heard these early early ones. And uh, you can always go back and hear them, and uh, and uh, you can find out what you missed uh, in the very early studcast. And, and longtime studcast fans, you know, I, I've had several of them. Social media said that they've been enjoying going back and rediscovering those podcasts, <laughs> the, the the things that they had forgotten. Oh, absolutely! I've forgotten more than what I've learned, and I've learned a ton since you started these things. And 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 literally, it, it's been about four years ago. So, what I love about it already, Ron, is the brand new "Tell Me More" show that has never before been heard. So, it's brand new. It airs three days after each original Studcast is released. You answer five fan questions each episode from the Studcast heard three days earlier. This was never done on the original releases. So, and listen, your responses are hilarious. Answering tons of questions with new stories none of us have ever heard before. So I'm really proud to be a part of the new Tell Me More shows. And you can see those and you can hear those on YouTube. Yeah, uh, it's it's really phenomenal, man. Uh, YouTube is really amazing. And, uh, you know, and I, and I love answering those fan questions. So it's really, really enjoyable. And, uh, 
And uh, you know, when they listen to each podcast, uh, all they have to do is you can leave the, they can leave their questions immediately, or they can even come back a day later and leave the questions they have. And I've been selecting five questions for each one of those uh, Tell Me More shows. And it's only the beginning, man, of what the channel is designed for. It's going to become my official home, and the fans are going to get to watch Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV wrestling shows on the, the YouTube channel where they were all the, uh, built by. I'm, I'm the guy that put them all together. So, uh, but what, you know, is really special about it is, is how they're going to be released. All those TV shows are going to be the first ever to be put in the actual sequence that they were distributed in many years ago when I originally introduced them. So it means fans are going to be able to follow the storyline and the booking concepts that made those territories, those three territories, uh, extremely successful. So, you know, by arranging them and putting them in the proper order they were produced in, fans will be able to watch the development of the stars, like Arn Anderson, who is on a recent Super Stud cast, to be able to watch Arn Anderson from week to week and how he gets better and the angles that we were working. And, I, and I've designed those programs intentionally to have a storyline and uh, to be able to be seen back-to-back -back in order. So you can experience these TV shows for the first time in decades, uh, just as the fans saw them back in the day they came out. I think that is so cool. And and if that show for you came on at, who knows, 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturdays, you can hold it till 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturdays, and you've got it right there, and it will feel like it was so many years back. That is absolutely remarkable. Instead of watching some Southeastern Continental and USA TV shows that are on other YouTube channels that are out of order and don't really make any sense, you're actually able to follow storylines, as you said, great wrestlers and angles in the exact order that they originally appeared. So you're really watching the storyline all the way through. Yeah. Yes. You know, uh, and fans have probably seen some of these shows, I mean, I mean, they're they're on a lot of these shows are on uh, uh, YouTube now, but uh, you know they never had the chance to see them in the proper order. It's kind of like reading a book and you read ten pages in and you skip over to the fortieth page and start reading again. You know, I mean, uh, there's each one of these programs were originally designed to tell a story, and uh, if you see it week to week, you go and watch these in sequence you're going to see wrestling the way it was really meant to be back in the day. That is absolutely awesome. I can't wait. So I've, I've never seen any of these TV shows because they were produced by your last wrestling company in Knoxville, Tennessee. So get ready fans and subscribe now for free at youtube.com Southeastern rewind, ring the bell icon, Ron will ring your bell every time a new show is released. All right, so I am ready to ride back where we ended last Studcast. Studcast fans have gone crazy about the first ever Southeastern appearance of Joe LaDuke, especially the strange and scary blood oath to his brother Paul. His personal promise to get revenge on Ronnie Garvin, the now so-called Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. for putting Paul out of wrestling when he took his axe to his forearm for the blood oath. It kind of seemed like everything changed for Southeastern. Did you feel that way, Ron? I bet you did. 
Oh, man. You know, and so did the fans out there that uh, listened to the last episode. I mean, they, they got a real feel for what that was all about. So it was a classic moment for Southeastern, and it caught everybody, not just the people in the studio, but the people at home, and even the the, the cameramen and the me upstairs and the director, Les, it caught us all unaware about what was going to happen. He didn't say what he was going to do. So that was just the beginning. Uh, the, the Wild Southeastern tag match in the Coliseum six days after that TV it was just as crazy as the as the blood oath, you know, and uh, and uh, that match was just as unexpected as the as the blood oath was. Mister Knoxville turned on his very popular tag partner Tony Charles in the match that we talked about, and then Charles' opponent in the match is uh, the unpredictable Joe LaDuke. Uh, he actually comes to Tony's rescue, so it may have been the strangest tag match, one of the strangest in the history of this sport. The result basically was the Southeastern belts were stripped from the former champions. That was Tony Charles and Mr. Knoxville. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a six-team, one-night tournament in this stud cast to crown new champions. Wow. All right. So listen, last week, I kind of got the feeling. I was thinking about Aaron Anderson and Dusty Rhodes with his feet up on the desk saying, go get over. Dude, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a good way to get over. You know, <laughs> Joe Duke got over pretty. He, he definitely pretty got over quickly. Oh yeah, man. Uh, he he was something special. You know, wherever he wrestled, Joe Duke anywhere in the world, he made a big name for himself. He left a lasting impression. And uh, at this point, he's going to become partners with Tony Charles in this upcoming tournament. And uh, maybe even more strange, Mister Knoxville who's no longer a babyface after last week's match, he's going to team with his former Mid-American Tag Team Champion uh, partner, Bob Orton Jr., in the tournament. And uh, that was really unexpected by the fans. Since Orton had sent Ronnie Garvin out of the Southeast with that loser-leave-town match, and uh, Garvin has to come back wearing the mask as Mr. Knoxville. Now, instead of being enemies, they're going to be side-by-side in the ring together. So, so I guess you're right, uh, Dave, you know. Joel Duke's appearance in Southeastern, it did kind of shake things up. Uh, it was it was a strange deal, and uh, and it's more bit more like an earthquake, man. Uh, he, he just really, really kind of lit it up for Southeastern. Oh, lit it up and lit it up, and when it went up, it stayed up, no doubt. All right, all right, studs. So we're getting on the trail, and where are we riding to today? Well, our today's training is going to teach uh, why I think a surprise angle has much more effect on the fans than, than a slowly developing angle that a lot of bookers like to use over over weeks at a time. So we're going to focus in this studcast on the Knoxville card in the second week of 1977. It's going to be the card that we'll be talking about today. And because of the last TV show, Joe Luke's blood oath and what happened six days later in the Coliseum, this studcast is really something special. Six tag teams, from around the world, met in Knoxville to see which one would become the new Southeastern Tag Champions. Uh, that's all on this card. There will be one other match on that card with real importance. Both the Southeastern and the Southeastern TV Trophy are going to be at stake. And another fantastic TV in this stud cast is going to be on this show. Uh, and uh, the attendance, we'll talk about the attendance for the last event of the summer. And I almost forgot... Uh, there's one more shocking angle in this one today. So oh, uh, whatever. 
<laughs> we, we got a, we got a learning tree question from, <laughs> for this one. It comes from something I just saw last week on social media. Great question about what happened in the last studcast. A gentleman asked, was the plan to always turn Garvin, Mr. Knoxville, heel? Mm. Was he not getting over it as expected or because you decided Jola Duke is a baby face? So, and I can't wait to cover that one later in the show. Oh, that that's interesting. Absolutely right there. Okay, so another surprise angle, Ron, really. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> you know how to get him by the cojones and hang on. All right, so after what happened, and after what happened last studcast, I can't wait to hear what's in store for this one. So, my horse, Mr. Pickles, we are ready to hit the trail, so where to first? Well, let's get right to it, man. Today's training is going to be a lesson uh, in the most effective way to work an angle, in my opinion. You know, every booker has his own style, and uh, some like to work very few angles with each one of those angles developing slowly. They kept their talent for long periods of time. Uh, they take months to get guys really over, and then they don't work more than one angle at a time. Uh, you know, a lazy booker, I would call him, I'd say. And that style booker usually. He liked to have fewer guys on the top of his cart, and those guys on the top were the only ones that were going to make any money. They were the only ones that were going to get involved into an angle because he didn't work many angles. So that means the top two or four wrestlers in the territory usually make a great deal more money than the underneath guys. Uh, some bookers, had they like to telegraph their angles over a, long, a longer period of time. And that means uh, they like to give fans little pieces of it at a time. Let them begin to see what was coming in small bits, and fans kind of know where things are going, so they think they are. But then they get more intrigued by trying to figure out. The fan starts trying to figure out when is the angle really going to happen, man? What's going to? They know what's going to happen, but now they're wondering when is it going to happen and how's it going to happen. Well, you know that style of booking is very dangerous. Uh, if you drag an angle out too long and then it doesn't get over when you finally pop the angle, business is going to drop. And uh, what do you do to get the crowds back up quickly? You've got to as a booker or you're out of a job. So to me, that style is only good in one way because you can paint a small portion of a picture where you're going, make fans believe they've figured it out, and then wham, and surprise them with something completely different than what they expected. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, I always loved that, man. <laughs> and uh, I got a pleasure watching the watching the crowds, man. And uh, sometimes uh, seeing the shock in their face, like what in the heck is this? So uh, to me, as a booker, the perfect set for a territory is great workers with angles from the first match to the last. Any and every guy is good enough to work either in the opening match one week and on the main event the next. So everybody gets involved in angles. And you shock fans as much and as often as you possibly can, and you surprise them as much as you can. So the Joe LaDuke introduction and follow-up tag match with LaDuke and Norvell Austin against Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles was actually two angles in one match. Uh, in that match, uh, you know you know where the main event, near the, you're not at the top of the card. That match is down like three matches below the main event. And it's just wild. So it took fans really by surprise. They don't expect to see that type of stuff in the third match. So it made a baby face out of Joe LaDuke, a guy who looked like anything but a baby face. 
And at the same time, it turned an established babyface, Ronnie Garvin, Mr. Knoxville in this case, heel in the same match. So surprise angles, the shocking ones are the most effective way to get your crowds into everything if you were a booker. Uh, they come each and every event to never knowing what to expect when they walk in that building. It makes it easier for you as a booker. If a match ain't going well as, or as expected or a combination is not getting over like you wanted, an unexpected surprise may be just what's needed to change it all, man, to get back on the right track. So I always love to feel, man, like the fans came into my buildings thinking, hold on tight. You never know where we're headed tonight. Ron, I'm telling you, you certainly had that type of thing going on every night in 1977. I can tell you, I have no idea what's going to happen on this studcast. So why don't you give us this very unusual card that you've been alluding to for Friday, June 9th, 1977? Okay, I would love to, my man. Uh, because of what happened the Friday before, Southeastern obviously stripped the former champions, Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles, of their tag titles. And on this card, six teams are going to compete to see who's going to become the new Southeastern Tag Champions. There's going to be five tag matches on this card. And all six teams uh, are going to come to the ring at the first bell of the night. And uh, Lisbeth uh, Thatcher is going to come down with uh, names in a hat. And as they draw them out, that's how they will be, who they will be wrestling against. It will all be decided from the draw of a hat. Uh, and that's the way it used to be done in the old days in the tournament. In the first round of the tournament, uh, the first match after this uh, happens, uh, Joe LaDuke uh, and Tony Charles are going to be wrestling against Norvell Austin and his uh, his partner, who is a new star in Southeastern. Uh, the famous, uh, this guy was really, really good. I remember seeing this guy in the 60s in Georgia. He's called the pro. The mass pro, his name was Doug Gilbert. Doug had a tremendous amount of talent, man. He's one of the best wrestlers in the country, and uh, we were really lucky to get him. And he's going to be side-by-side side with Norvell Austin. And the second tournament match in the first round was going to be Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. As I said, now they're going to tag up, and they're going to be wrestling against the former AWA tag champions from Australia, the fabulous Kangaroos, Al Costello and Don Kent. Third tournament match in the first round, Robert Fuller and Bob Armstrong, the former Georgia Tag Team Champions, are going to wrestle against the present Southern Tag Team Champions at this point in 1977, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. Second round would again be chosen from a hat by the three remaining teams. One team would draw a bye out of the hat, then uh, they're, they're going to automatically go into the finals. The other two teams are going to have to wrestle their way into the finals. So the main event was a return match between myself and the Mongolian Stomper for both my Southeastern title and his Southeastern Championship TV trophy. It's no time limit, no DQ, and gorgeous George Jr. is barred from ringside. <laughs> Man, that's a great card. Six tag teams, five tag matches, with the winners becoming new Southeastern Tag Champions, plus you and the Stomper for two titles with gorgeous George Jr. banned from ringside. So I bet next is the TV show for Saturday, June 3rd, 1977, that is going to pump this big card up, right? 
Uh, you're exactly right. You and Mr. Pickles, I'm at, I, you guys are learning the trail, man. You know, so, so far in this stud cast, I've noticed he hasn't run away with you. By now, normally Mr. Pickles has already run away at least once. All right. So I told you, Ron, Mr. Pickles would leave a good taste in your mouth very soon. So there you go. Well, I don't know about that, Dave, <laughs> but I know the TV we're about to introduce is sure full of some tasty history. Uh, so this one, this TV has for the first time ever on Southeastern four tag matches on television. And it the, obviously it's tailor-made for this one-night tournament that uh, it's going to be promoting. And four of those six teams in the following Friday night championship tournament are going to be wrestling on this TV. So the show opened with Les, and uh, he had both of the Southeastern belts right in front of him on the desk because they've been held up. There are no champions at this point. And he ran down the awesome TV card for the day. And Tony Charles and the Lumberjack Joe LaDuke are sitting with him when the cameras back away. And on the huge set behind them is a still shot of Joe LaDuke. He's in the process of power slamming Mr. Knoxville. And he had caught him jumping off the top rope to try to, to put his knee into Tony Charles' throat. The big man, uh, he, he grabbed him right in midair, man. And uh, thankfully, you know, people in the studio, they all went to the matches uh, the night before. And they knew what had happened, and they saw what had happened. That big, giant power slam he put on Mr. Knoxville was uh, truly amazing. So Joe LaDuke, you know, he had entered the ring before as a partner. Norville Austin was his partner. But 20 minutes into the match, by the time that amount of time had gone, Joe LaDuke had already gone from being on the hillside of the ring to becoming a fan favorite. Fans just really got into LaDuke. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mr. Knoxville at this point in that match was just the opposite. Fans had started to turn on Mr. Knoxville. So as LaDuke and Charles were being introduced uh, to a roar of approval in the studio that day, you know, the director was backing up the video the last five minutes of the match. And as they rolled that video, where there was still shot of him uh, power slamming uh, Mr. Knoxville. Uh, they had to cover, uh, Les had a lot of things to cover in this last five minutes to explain what happened in this match. The Duke and Charles, they, they got a few comments in, but they had to work their way in there, man. Uh, there was a lot going on. There was so much happening in the video uh, mm -hmm. that later on, we're going to have to show the same video again to two different wrestlers. So Tony Charles, he obviously thanked the Duke for saving him, basically. You know, saving him from his own tag partner because Ronnie Garvin, uh, Mr. Knoxville, had turned on him, and uh, so had uh, Bob Wharton had come to the ring. Uh, there was a lot of things going on in the match, and uh, LaDuke saved Charles, and uh, Tony was real nice about, the, you know, thanking him very much for saving him. And Joe LaDuke, he was just basically, old Joe, just a soft-hearted giant, man. He put his arm around Tony's shoulders, man, uh, and, you know, he saying he was he was happy to have done it, happy to stop it hmm. because it was one of the same moves that broke his brother's neck uh, years earlier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he, he really uh, he, he didn't want to see it happen, man, and he didn't let it happen. So the end of the video showed the two of them fighting Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr. and Norvell Austin through that crowd. There was another 6000 uh, in that building again, packed again. And uh, the two of them, Mr. Knoxville and Horton and Austin, were running basically to get back to the dressing room and away from 
Joe LaDuke and Tony Charles. Well, then Charles and them went back to the ring, got back in the ring and raised each other's hand. And wow, that building was crazy. And this is like the third match of a six match card. You know, things like that don't happen normally in wrestling matches. And uh, it was truly amazing to watch it. So a new team from opposite sides of the ring had been formed in just a 20-minute match. (laughs) Southeastern Tag Champions had been split as a team in just a 20-minute match. Joe LaDuke had established himself as a babyface. Mr. Knoxville had gone from a fan favorite to being booed and ended up in the Hills dressing room before it's all over. (laughs) It was just uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, how that all played out, man, when fans really got into it. Uh, it, It's wonderful when you're a booker and you see that happen. It's exactly what you uh, thought you would see and uh, what your mind's eye showed you. So Les thanked them both for coming, joining him, and uh, they left the set and went to the ring. And there were going to be four tag matches in the show, and they were in the first one, and they made short work of their opponents, and LaDuke got the win with a bear hug on uh, Tony Peters who was a guy that weighed 300-plus pounds. And LaDuke picked him up off the mat and slung him around like it was a rag doll. You know, Tony Peters' arms were just swinging violently in the air, man. And you could hear him. I bet they could hear him downtown Knoxville, five miles away, giving up. You know, please let me go. So Big Joe, man, uh, as soon as he won, he grabbed his his little Tony Charles compared to LaDuke, and he shot him up in the air, and he caught him round the waist on Tony's way down. and Tony had both his hands in there. Boy, the studio was so into it. I never seen it happen that they got so quickly into a new team. And the crowd just popped in the studio. So this team, one guy from Canada and the other from the United Kingdom, they really touched the hearts of the Southeastern fans in their very first uh, time together as a team. So because the pairings of the tournament wouldn't be picked until bell time the following Friday, most of the interviews during this TV show are going to be kind of generic because they don't know who they're wrestling yet. They won't find out until Friday night and they go to the ring when the, when the when matches start. Of course, that wasn't the case, however, in the first interview and Joe LaDuke's and Tony Charles' interview because LaDuke focused on finally getting his opportunity just to maybe get his hands. He had to, you know, he had to stay, they had to stay in the tournament. And so did Garvin, who's Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., in order for LaDuke to have a chance to get his hands on him. And, the, you know, Joe was really, really, uh, what a great guy he was and, a, and such a kind and nice person, man. And, you know, he, he just uh, really thanked everybody for their support right off the bat. And, uh, you know, he dedicated the next Friday night to his brother, Paul. And he said he hoped and prayed that somewhere in that tournament, he and Tony Charles were going to end up looking across the ring at Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. So Tony said he'd heard of Joel LaDuke in Europe. Uh, You know, when Tony time, he jerked and he jumped in there. And he said that, you know, he had heard of Joel LaDuke in Europe, but he didn't have any idea how strong Joe was till the match the night before in which all this went down. And, uh, you know, he was in there a lot with Joe LaDuke because Mr. Knoxville didn't want to get in there any with Joe LaDuke. So, you know, obviously Tony was upset for this former partner, Mr. Knoxville, especially after he decided to abandon him 
And then he ended up trying to hurt him when you got Austin and uh, Bob Orton Jr. in the ring, and he was going to jump off in his throat. So Tony, you know, again, thanked Joe for the second time for saving him from the injury. And he promised that, you know, he's going to he's going to be there for the big man. You know, I'll be there for you, Joe. Tony said, I was champion for only a couple of weeks. And uh, now my belt is gone. But I got a feeling, Joe, you and I got a chance of winning it again. And I could be champion again. Interesting uh, little interview. Great Great rapport between those two two guys from outside America. Well, that's cool. So, and listen, I saw both of those guys in southeastern Pensacola back in the day. So I can believe that they would have made a great team. All right. So, which team in the tournament was next on TV, Ron? The Fabulous Kangaroos, out of Australia. Al Costello and Don Kent. Uh, these guys had just come from the AWA, where they were tag champions, and uh, this was their first time ever in Southeastern. And wow, they were a really very polished team, man. And uh, they won their tag match very quickly. And immediately they went to the desk and sat with Les. And the Australian, Al Costello, did the talking for him. And he explained how they'd won tag titles all over the world. They were a very well-known team. And uh, they'd been everywhere. And he said they were honored to be uh, involved in this Southeastern tournament. And he said some nice things about the territory. Uh, one, he said uh, it was the hottest territory in wrestling right now. And they look forward to winning and representing the fans of this part of the country. Uh, it was a nice interview. So let's cut away to Studio P for another team that was in the tournament, and that was the pro. This newcomer, uh, Doug Gilbert, he's about 6'3", weighed about 280 pounds, and he's partners with Norvell Austin in the tournament. And Austin knew who he was, and Austin put him over big time, said, oh, I'm really, what a tremendous wrestler this guy is. I'm, I'm honored to be a partner with him. And, uh, you know, Pro said he'd been waiting for a long time to get into Southeastern, uh, as a lot of other guys were at this point. And uh, although he said, I was, I'm not normally a tag wrestler, I don't mind having an opportunity to win myself a belt the first night in. So, <laughs> because that's a good deal. I'll take that. So, oh, no doubt. Uh, good interviews both of them it sounds like it it sounds like it was setting up to be a tremendous tournament run and it's time for the personality profile this week what do we got well i'm on the profile this week and uh, my match with harley race for the nwa title at this point was only two weeks away and my upcoming match for the following friday night was with the mongolian stomper and that no time limit, no DQ. A winner got both the Southeastern titles, and Gorgeous George was barred from ringside. That's a pretty darn important match. And, but either way, the deal was, win or lose, I was going to get the shot at race. So Harley sent an interview. Harley Race sent an interview in, and, uh, and he started out by, oddly enough, congratulating me and said, he, you know, he looked forward our next match and then then he said you know it appears now that that's the only way he wouldn't have to meet me uh, or or would be if i got injured in the next two weeks and then he says uh, but but he said i I hope that doesn't happen he goes you know he said he had he said i heard that terry funk still had a bounty on on ron fuller's head and uh just in case some of the wrestlers in southeastern didn't know you know then he added real quickly but don't say that information came from me. 
<laughs> but obviously he got it out there, right? So, uh-huh. so he said, uh, you know, he said, I, I'd be very upset if I lost my chance because getting <laughs> getting rich by, by hurting me. You know, B, he said, you know, if if, if Ron lost his chance, you know, uh, because he got hurt, I, I'd feel really bad about that. And he added, you know, uh, lots of bad things happen when wrestlers are, are offered money to hurt somebody. <laughs> so, and then he said, at the end of the deal, he says, things like that disgust me. And <laughs> then he laughed. He laughed all the way off the end of the interview. He did. <laughs> so, so basically, he, he, just, he turned everybody on to the concept of, uh, I hope something happens to him. <laughs> oh, my God. I could just see, I could just see Harley Ray saying that. So it sounded like he was, he was asking for something without really asking for it. So how do you, uh, how do you respond to that, Ron? Well, well, I really didn't get a chance to, you know, cause a list pretty quickly, uh, during the profile, he says, Ron, I got another interview. I want you to see. And, uh, this interview was with gorgeous George Jr. And the Mongolian stomper. It was cut earlier in the day. George was mad at this point about being barred from ringside. But he was real eager for his stomper to have the opportunity to get both the Southeastern belt and the TV trophy again, because he'd had both of them before. So, and then he kind of wondered out loud. He said, yeah, you know, uh, uh, who would get the title shot uh, less if if Ron Fuller got hurt? And then he says, you know, uh, if Stomper beats him, Stomper's going to own both the titles, both the Southeastern and the Southeastern TV championship. He will have definitely proven he's a better man than Ron Fuller. And uh, and after all, uh, he he's going to do all this without me being even at ringside, you know. So so there was a lot going on in this profile, man. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it wasn't any wrestler cutting his arm with an axe in this one, like the profile from the last I'd get. But uh, maybe something even more awful w- was going to c- come out of all this. Uh-uh. All right, Stud. So it sounds like you got something up your sleeve again this week. Well, yeah, you know, you, you're not going to get the answer to that. You know that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> by now, Dave, you're you're pretty well assured of that. So, uh, so the next TV match got the crowd really going, man. It was Robert and Bob Armstrong, and they took the ring for obviously the third straight tag match of this show, and. Uh, Bob, at the end of this one, boy, he jacked somebody's jaw big time. And uh, Rob put the fuller leg lock on uh, the guy that he, w- he was with. And, boy, it set that studio on fire, man. They they were really into it. And then both of them came to the set. They watched this one-minute video that came from the new Southern tag champions out of Memphis, Dennis Condry and Big Phil Hickerson. And they bragged about having won the Southern tag belts and them being invited to join the fight and, and given the chance to win their second tag championship in the last two weeks. They had just won the Southern title. Now they had their eyes on the Southeastern title. And they said they didn't mind pulling their their match out of the hat. You know, that's the way it was done for tournaments, that they really didn't care who their opponents were, that they were only interested in big championship belts and lots of them. So come Bob and Rob's time. And, uh, you know, they said it was probably, you know, Bob uh, said it, it was probably the, one of the best tag team tournaments maybe the, in the sports history, man. The six great teams. 
and uh, they had nailed a tag team championship belt, he and Rob, uh, since 1972 in Georgia. And uh, both of them were ready for this, and it was time for them to win a championship belt again. So last match of the show began with the loudest boos by far of the entire show. Bob Orton Jr. and Mr. Knoxville strutted into the studio. They went right straight to the ring. But uh, you could hardly hear the announcement of their names above the roar of the crowd. The crowd really had turned on Mr. Knoxville big time. It didn't take five minutes for those two guys, though, to destroy their two young opponents. And Orton used his backbreaker, dropped the kid on his head, as usual. And uh, Mr. Knoxville jumped off the top rope in the other one's throat. And uh, both guys were carried out of the ring. And then Orton and uh, Mr. Knoxville went to the set, sat down with Les. And Les had the same video queued up that we opened the show with. He had it backed up further this time, though, to the point where Tony Charles was trying to tag Mr. Knoxville out on the apron of the ring to get in with Joe LaDuke, who was the guy that Tony was in the ring with. And, uh-huh. and uh, you know, and, and as soon as Orton and Mr. Knoxville sat down, Les asked if he could run a short piece of the match from the night before. And Mr. Knoxville said no. Uh-huh. Even though he said no. And he didn't know what the fans were about to see. So Les had the director run it anyway. So, so. And when it started, there it was, Tony reaching out to tag Mr. Knoxville, Joe LaDuke standing in the middle ring waving for him to come in. And Mr. Knoxville jumped off the apron and he walked away from the ring, way down the aisle in the the big sold-out building. The fans in the studio, they exploded, man, just like the huge crowd in the building that night did, man. They were started to really boo him after he'd done this three or four times in that match. So Mr. Knoxville, as soon as they started booing in the studio, he started screaming at the fans to shut up. <laughs> he didn't care. He didn't care. So, you know, and then, and then he turned to Les, and he was red in the face at this point, you know, and he, he yelled, uh, you know, get that off right now. Get that off right now. And, uh, you know, and so him and Les, you know, they're, they're having a little argument there. And the video had been edited, so it jumped right away to action. It was later in the match. It jumped to the spot where Bob Orton Jr. and Norvell Austin had Tony Charles laying on his back, holding his legs, and Mr. Knoxville was up on the top rope and ready to jump off in his throat. So, you know, so both Orton and Mr. Knoxville are screaming to stop the video. They're like they're talking to the director. Stop it. Stop it. Cut that out. And, uh, you know, but the director had always been told, that you know, never follow the wrestler's instructions. So so suddenly, uh, Joe Duke had been, you know, pretty bloody that night, the night before. He kicked Orton in the back, and he stepped over Nor- Norvell Austin. And Mr. Knoxville came flying off there, headed for Tony Charles. And big old Joe Duke just snatched him, man, in the air and power slammed him, man. Put all 300 pounds on him. Wow. Popped the building, and it popped those fans in the studio. They exploded. So Borth Orton at this point and Mr. Knoxville, they were right in Les's face. And they they just demanded uh, that he stop the video and then that he get off the set. <laughs> they, threw, they threw Les off of his own set. <laughs> they said, get out of here. So, so the fans erupted in booze, and Les obviously left the set. You know, I mean, uh, what's he going to do? Have a have a brawl with those two guys wouldn't be a smart idea. 
So they had other plans uh, for the last segment of the show, those two guys. Orton invited out Gorgeous George Jr., the Mongolian Stomper, Norvell Austin, the new guy, the pro, came out, and they all surrounded Mr. Knoxville, man, and they had themselves a huge celebration. So finally, Gigi pushed his way to the front of this big celebration. He reached in his pocket and made sure everybody saw it, and he pulled out another one of those giant wads of cash, and he (laughs) showed it to the camera, and then he stuffed it in Mr. Knoxville's hand. So they all surrounded Mr. Knoxville again, and Gigi got the microphone, and he welcomed. He didn't call him Mr. Knoxville. He says, welcome back, Ronnie. Ronnie. (laughs) Welcome back, Ronnie, man. He says, uh, you're right back in the right dressing room. You're right back where you belong. It was really like taking a shot at Southeastern by calling him Ronnie. You know, it's he's supposed to been the not being there anyway because he'd lost the loser lead town match. So Gigi just kept going. He kept bragging about how he'd kept his promise to pay Mr. Knoxville if he did come back. And then he added at the very end that stay tuned because this is only the beginning here. Mm. So less about that time and made his way up to the control room and and, uh, (laughs) he says, let's stop this. (laughs) So uh, I said, okay, uh, Kincaid, let's go to Black. So so that ended the party. (laughs) Cameras went off, lights went off, and the boys uh, figured, well, there's no need to continue in this. So uh, Uh, Probably. So now it does seem official. Mr. Knoxville had chosen his path and collected the money for it. When did Les return to the set? When did he come back around? Well, you know, uh, Les didn't go back to the set until the entire group had finished their last interview. <laughs> they came back to the set. They had a two-minute interview. Les didn't go out there and uh, take a chance on having more problems out there. He just let them finish their interview. Uh, <laughs> time was about to run out on the show. They left. And when the lights went off on the camera, Les walked in and he took back his set. <laughs> it, was a, it was a different type of show. All right, listen, the folks at home had to be loving this. What a TV show. I mean, everything was set for the following Friday night in the Coliseum, of course. So what happened in the tournament and in your match with the Stomper Stud? Okay, so after the pairings for the first round of the tournament were drawn out of the hat, let's take the hat down there. Joe LaDuke uh, and Tony Charles, uh, they beat the pro and Norvell Austin. So second match uh, in that first round was Bob Orton Jr. and Mr. Knoxville against the fabulous Kangaroos. And uh, Orton and Mr. Knoxville won that second match. They're still in the tournament. Robert and Bob, they were against Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. They had drawn Condry and Hickerson, which is a great team. These guys are young, but they're getting better. A year down the road, they're going to be the stars in Southeastern. And uh, this night, they were the stars then. Uh, They beat Rob and Bob Armstrong in that first round. So now the pairings are down to, uh, we're down to round two. And uh, there's only three teams in the tournament at this point. Uh, They came, brought the hat out again. Uh, The two teams drew the, do the ones that are going to wrestle each other. And the third team drew the bye. And the third team was Bob Orton Jr. and Mr. Knoxville. And uh, so they automatically got to go into the finals. And Joel Duke and Tony Charles had to wrestle against Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson to get into the finals. And Tony and uh, big old Joel Duke won that match. 
So the finals of the tournament then are going to be Bob Orton Jr. and Mr. Knoxville against Big Joe LaDuke and Tony Charles. Wow. And uh, before that match started, when uh, Mr. Knoxville and Orton came out, the building just booed him like crazy. But the Joe LaDuke and Tony Charles applause was this, it's amazing, man. The, the building was on their feet before the match ever, the bell rang. And it was a really tough match. And uh, all four men in the ring were bleeding in the match uh, before it was over. And Mr. Knoxville pinned Tony Charles. He got the victory. But him and Orton had to fight their way back to the dressing room through the fans. It was it was really, a, really a hot finish. And uh, uh, what a tremendous match. And uh, so new tag champions, there they are, uh, Bob Orton Jr. and uh, Mr. Knoxville. Wow. All right. So, but your match, what happened there? Well, my match was a no DQ and a no time limit. It had no gorgeous George Jr. at ringside. Uh, when you got a no DQ and a no time limit match, anything can happen. And the ref doesn't really have a lot of control. He really has no choice but to count the man out uh, or accept the submission no matter what happens in the course of the match. So, uh, I had to stomp her covered at the end of the match. I had him beat in the middle of the ring. And uh, Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, uh, did it to me again, man. He came out. Uh, he climbed to the top rope. Referee was down. Uh, wouldn't have made any difference if the referee had been standing up. He couldn't have disqualified. Couldn't have disqualified Stomper anyway. So uh, uh, Ronnie uh, jumped off the top rope in my back, and then he took his time. Uh, he turned me over on my back, so my, I was laying flat on my back. He went back up on the top rope again, and this time he jumped off in my throat. So, you know, this time it, it was a little different way he did it, but it was with the same results as it was in the funk match uh, in October of 76. You know, I, I was carried out of the ring uh, this time by my brother and Joe LaDuke. Joe came down and helped Rob, and they carried me back to the dressing room. Ron, do you think Ronnie Garvin wasn't sincere when he apologized for doing that the first time? <laughs> I think he had a pocket full of money. He was very happy with that. Oh. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not so sure, uh, you okay. know, that he, he couldn't have collected Terry Funk's money, too. Tries to apologize now. You're not going to take him seriously, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. I had to get, I had to review on that one. All right. So were you going to be able, I mean, you're setting up for Harley race two weeks later. How does this affect that? Come on. Well, I guess Dave, uh, we'll have to find that out next week, man. Oh, come uh -huh. on. Come on. <laughs> no. You want to be ambulance chasers. What happened? Oh, no, we, we, we're going to have to talk about that one next week, man. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I should have known. All right. At least what was the, the attendance? What was the attendance like? I know it was big. It, it was right there, man. At that uh, same, right at that same thousand, the 6,000 range, man. Uh, it just is amazing. Wow. We're just, we're just uh, filling that big, huge Coliseum every week. Uh, it, big things were happening in Southeastern. Oh, no doubt. All right. So listen, this has been a fun story up to now. I think it's time that we take that seat under the learning tree. All right, set it up once again for us, Stud. Who was the person that asked the question, and what was it once again? Well, this one came from a gentleman named uh, John LaRocca, 
And uh, and I like I said earlier, I, I saw this on social media. He had asked the question, and uh, I said, man, I got to go ahead and do this. So Mr. LaRocca's uh, question was, was the plan to always turn Ronnie Garvin, Mr. Knoxville, heel? Or was it because he wasn't, he was not getting over as expected or because you decided to use Joe LaDuke as a baby face? That's a good question. Yeah. Wow. That's a series of good questions, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and it was, it's the perfect time frame to answer them in. So, you know, I just, I picked this question because, because of its, its time frame and because it just fit the situation that was happening. So the decision to turn someone heel or babyface, you know, that's usually a spontaneous decision, uh, you know, or, or it comes maybe sometimes under circumstances that cur- surrounds your crew. Somebody gets injured, whatever it may be, uh, you need to make a switch. Or, you know, it can come from a feeling uh, that Booker has deep inside, you know, it kind of screams to you. You know, it's time. Let's do this. It's right. This is this is going to work. It's going to be good. And it, it also comes with the possibility of failure, too, Dave, and the possible destruction of one of your top guys and maybe even uh, hurting your territory big time. So Ronnie Garvin arrived in Southeastern. Everybody knows is a heel. And after we turned him babyface, honestly, we had no plans to turn him heel again, you know. Uh, and he was very much over as a baby face and he's a great worker. So he could go either way, you know? So some of the decision to change him came from a dramatic change in the crew. And, uh, we hadn't talked about this, but, uh, I think uh, fans will really be kind of intrigued with this. Uh, we lost the Von Steiger brothers, uh, and they gave us an extremely short notice, which was really bad in, in the wrestling business. You didn't, they, they left uh, before they could get our baby faces over. We had spent uh, a year basically getting them to be a real hot team and not beating them. And now it's time to go. And they came and said, we, we got to go, but we got to go right now. In other words, you, we couldn't even uh, beat them properly, you know? So, yeah. so if you think back a few weeks ago, when this match with Tony Charles and Mr. Knoxville against the Von Steigers, was a loser leave forever match, right? Right. We'd never done a forever match. I don't think we ever did one after, but we knew we never wanted Devon Steigers back in Southeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but what had happened now is we were left short of good heels when those two guys left because they were the big tag team guys, uh, two great stars. So basically, we were left at this point with the Mongolian Stomper as a heel, Bob Orton Jr., and Norvell Austin. And that's basically the only three guys we had. So we needed to make a quick switch, and we needed to get another top heel or get somebody to take a top heel spot. So we also needed to replace a good tag team. (laughs) Our tag team was gone, too, that we had been uh, pushing for about a year. By moving Ronnie Garvin to heel, and tagging him up with Bob Orton Jr., it gave us the strongest team, Southeastern heavyweight tag team champions, the strongest team we had ever had in Southeastern's history at this point. Oh, yeah. Ronnie Garvin is Mr. Knoxville, and Bob Orton Jr., two of the greatest workers in the country, and have phenomenal matches. 
it, it was like a no-brainer. I mean, like, wow, these guys would just be unbelievable. So then we brought in the new guy that we talked about today, the Mass Pro, Doug Gilbert. And uh, all of a sudden, we're back to pretty much full strength. We got great heels again. So mm-hmm. using Joe LaDuke as a baby face, that too had had r- other purposes other than just putting him as a baby face. Joe LaDuke was going to make the ideal opponent for the Mongolian Stomp. Bald-headed, both of them, big, massive dudes, going to have bloody, bloody matches. Uh, <laughs> wow. You know, so uh, thanks for your question, Mr. LaRock. I hope we kind of explained it. Uh, you know, we, we didn't plan on it, but uh, we went with it. And by golly, uh, it, 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 it it worked. It, uh, it, it made Southeastern stronger than ever. Oh, no uh, doubt. And Ron, it reminds me of what your director would always say when you were sitting there beside him. In this case, Ron, where did you get these two monsters? So that's, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. awesome right there. All right. Every stud cast is a new experience. So another, another great one and another job. Well done stud. All right, folks on Facebook to become friends with Ron on his Facebook, follow him on either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud page or author Ron Fuller Welsh page, either or both follow him there and automatically become friends with a legend on Twitter and Instagram. Follow him at Ron Fuller Welch on both. Super Studcast number 42 features one of Australia's biggest names, superstar Bill Dundee. It is awesome. From handling elephants in the Australian circus to handling monsters of the ring, Bill Dundee's story is spellbinding at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. From his shoot with macho man Randy Savage to his 46 years in America as a star. This one has it all. Find out why these super stud casts are called the best deal in wrestling at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours, only $2.99. And fans all over the world are still ordering the best old school Southeastern Continental Collector's Edition DVD 5-pack. Far too many names to mention. Fill these five DVDs with 67 matches and more than 12 hours of tremendous moments. Own your piece of pure wrestling history at tnstud.com. Click stud store. 67 matches, 12 hours, only $39.99 with free shipping. Start or add these tremendous DVDs to your collection and do that today. Ron's best story ever did not happen in a ring, but it happened with a lion. It takes place in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. If you're a True Stud fan, you've got to get Brutus, Ron's first novel. It'll blow your mind. It has 50 five-star ratings on Amazon. Many say it's the next Jaws. Read the reviews yourself at Amazon.com and keywords Brutus Novel. Get the book or the special autographed copy at tnstud.com. Click stud store. The book is $19.99. The autographed copy, only $29.99. That is a keeper. Both come with free shipping. Subscribe today and begin your ride on the Studs YouTube channel. It's called Southeastern Rewind. Go to youtube.com and then search Southeastern Rewind. 
join, subscribe, ring the bell, and he'll ring your bell every time something new is added to the channel. Here his never-before-offered Tell Me More shows. You get two every week with two of the original Studcast added each week. Subscribe today and support the stud on YouTube. All right, stud, a lot going on. So where do we ride to next week? Well, today's training uh, returns, obviously, with uh, personal training for all wrestling fans. Uh, I really, really love the today's training segment. It gives me an opportunity to, to try to uh, give fans a look at what it was like behind the scenes and uh, behind the curtain. Uh, Southeastern is going to move back into the massive Chihuahua Park Amphitheater for this next one. We're in the third week of the summer of 1977. We're going to talk about the repercussions of my injury from this stud cast. We'll talk about Orton and Mr. Knoxville's first tag title defense. Uh, and we're going to talk about Joe Duke's tug of war on TV next week with 10 men by himself. Wow. <laughs> uh, the learning tree. Uh, Joseph, Joseph Haas, man. There's nothing about No doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, our learning tree next week is going to answer a question about the strength of cards with one-night tournaments, like we just talked about in this one. You know, uh, we're going to find out how strong these one-night tournaments are. So and uh, I want to thank everybody, obviously, that have already subscribed to the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. And uh, all my listeners out there, every one of you, I uh, really, really appreciate all of you. Uh, we continue to grow here, and I thank all of you uh, for making that happen. And uh, please take care of yourselves, everybody, and others, too. And may God bless us all. Ron Fuller is the master of the Monster Factory. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.